welcome back to the Baseball Trade Values Podcast. My name is Joshua Iverson, and I am the associate editor of BaseballTradeValues.com, joined, as always, by founder and owner John Bitzer. John, are you excited for the holidays coming up? I'm stressed, Josh. Too much to do. (laughs) Too little time. Too many presents to buy and wrap and all this (laughs) other stuff. Yeah. Aren't you thankful, at least, that there isn't a whole lot of of baseball news making that work even more stressful? Surprisingly, yes. I, you know, (laughs) I'm one of these people who, because of what we do, it's sort of like, you know, you get addicted to Twitter and MLB Mm -hmm. trade rumors like, oh, have I missed any news? You know, but Mm -hmm. here we don't have any of that. I know it's kind of slow and boring and everything, so we're trying to fill the holes. But on the other hand, hey, I can read a book once in a while. Yeah, exactly. I those those first couple days of the at, right after the lockout, it was like the bandaid getting ripped off because yeah. you know, there was so much activity, so exciting those few days right before the lockout, and then all of a sudden just crickets. And so those were, I don't want to say difficult. That that's probably over exaggerating it. But those were kind of kind of disappointing couple days. Like, man, this is what it's going to be like. But now that we're kind of in this rhythm, it's like okay, like. Yeah, I can get by on the little, you know, ooh, Cam Bedrosian signed a minor league deal here, or oh, Nomar Mazzara to the Padres. Like those, I can, those little tidbits can hold me over for now since I have enough else going on in my life. By the time we get into, you know, mid, late January, early February, that's where I think the itch is going to kind of come back. But yeah. for now, I'm, I don't mind having a little bit of a break here. I, I'm with you. I do feel bad for the the writers in MLB trade rumors though, because they got nothing. And so oh yeah. Like, you know, oh this minor leaguer side of minor league deal. Okay, great. <laughs> and that was like their only story of the day. <laughs> also, got to feel bad for those. Um, I think I think three players are stuck in DFA limbo for the entirety of the lockout. Right. I know Sheldon Noisy's one of them. And yeah. There's a couple others. I'm pretty sure. Got to feel bad for them, but. And there's, we could, we could do a whole podcast episode about, you know, all, all the people we should feel bad about in this lockout situation. But um, instead, we're going to do a podcast episode a little bit different than usual. Because there isn't any significant news to hit on, uh, we are going to take a bit more of an unstructured approach to this. And we're actually going to get a little bit more speculative than we maybe usually would. So John went ahead and took a look at the Fangraphs free agent tracker and just, you know, other general notes of what has happened, what hasn't happened. And he's kind of risen some points, uh, found some points to raise, I should say, um, about certain roster situations, certain teams that have, um, as a result of a free agent signing, that have somebody kind of blocked now, whether that's a prospect, whether that's a big leaguer, and what kind of moves that might lead to after the lockout. Or just certain situations with the market, players got scooped up. Now there aren't, for example, there aren't as many starting pitchers available on the market. So we could see the starting pitcher trade market start to flourish. What might that look like? So we're just going to kind of take this episode to go one by one through some of these roster situations, player situations, whatever. And just kind of preview them and and say what we might want to expect coming out of the lockout here. Does that sound good to you, John? Sounds like fun. Sweet. Uh, So I will actually hand over the reins to you for this episode to kind of kick us off here. So the biggest player so far before the lockout, uh, in my view, in terms of free agent deals, was the Mets. Obviously, they made a huge signing with Max Scherzer, a bunch of others, Dr. Marte, Mark Canna, Eduardo Escobar. They got four, you know, maybe two of those are big names and two of those are sort of medium-ish names, but they filled four holes there. Now, there's only two ways to you know, acquire a player. One is via money, pay them a lot in free agency in the offseason, and the other was via trade. So 
the Mets have said in the past that they prefer not to trade their top prospects because their farm isn't great. They've got a couple of good ones, and then after that, it gets kind of iffy. Um, so they'd rather hold on to their uh, trade chips, if you will, the prospect chips. And since Steve Cohen is the richest owner in baseball, he's like, okay, I'll spend my money. And that's how they're going to you know, improve their team. Having said that, when they do that, they create some repercussions. So a couple of guys may be blocked. And there's a couple of guys who were question marks anyway. I'm thinking about J.D. Davis, Dominic Smith, and Jeff McNeil. Those three guys, you have to start to wonder, how do they fit on this roster, given that Eduardo Escobar, for example, is going to have a place to play in the infield? I don't know if he's playing third or second, but what does that mean for McNeil? Um, J.D. Davis is not a great third baseman. We don't know yet if there's going to be a DH in the National League. If there is, then maybe they keep him. And for that matter, Dom, Dominic Smith could possibly be kept, and they could maybe both sort of platoon, if you will, at DH, but we're not sure yet. So those are the three guys that I think are, since they're not likely to trade any of their top prospects, those are the three guys that are sort of make you raise your eyebrows and think, hmm, are they going somewhere? Are they going to be in the trade market? And then, so then that triggers, okay, where might they go? The other issue with McNeil is reportedly he got into a fight with Francisco Lindor sometime in the season, I think earlier on. And um, like, it was like, it was bad. And those two are not getting along. So you don't want him playing second necessarily and Lindor playing short double play partners who were not getting along. So that's another sort of under, under the uh, you know, underlying issue. However, as we're recording this podcast, news has just broken that the Mets have hired Buck Showalter as their new manager. And so does that change anything? Buck is known for being a no-nonsense guy. He's the adult in the room now. Maybe he doesn't put up with any of that. And maybe he gets them in line. So maybe Lindor and McNeil can work together and, and you know be happy campers under sort of a more authoritative manager figure. So I wonder about that a little bit. And so maybe they can get by with as Eduardo Escobar at third, Lindor at short, maybe McNeil at second, Alonzo at first, maybe keep one of the either JD or Dom if there's a DH. And so maybe only one of those guys gets traded. So that's where I'm at with the Mets. I think they need one other starting pitcher as well. Um, you know, they don't quite have, I know they're saying Scherzer, obviously, but they could still use a little bit more help there. So I think they're in the market for a starting pitcher. Um, they could always use relief help again. Um, and they have one of those three guys, whether it's J.D., Dom, or, or McNeil, who's probably going to get moved. But we don't know where yet because there's still some uncertainty about the D.H. That's where I'm at with the Mets. Yeah, that that those that last point there of kind of they need a starting pitcher and, and some relief help, that, that's something I wanted to touch on is that they have a pretty complete roster, which is what makes this kind of complicated because, as you mentioned, there's those three guys, and then a lot of their top uh, top prospects are also infielders. Mark Vientos, Brett Beatty, Ronnie Mauricio. And, and and so Steve Cohen has spoken at length often about uh, wanting to create a contender now and in the future. Both he and Sandy Alderson have, have repeated this over and over again, that they are really placing this emphasis on, yeah, we're going to spend big now, but we don't really want to mortgage our future. But it also leaves them in this weird predicament where they have a pretty talented big league roster, they don't have any obvious holes on the field except, you know, maybe that fifth starter, maybe that bullpen. But all these guys are kind of under contract for at least a couple more years, and they got these prospects who are 
almost MLB ready or will be in the next year or two. And so you're going to have to move from them to possibly, especially if you want to make further upgrades to the team. And, and it's, it's that kind of situation where they have a lot of positions where they have an adequate starter, but not a star. And that's, that's one of the toughest rosters to upgrade. You know, it's hard to turn Jeff McNeil's second base spot into a star second baseman. You have to add a lot to get from, you know, a steady Eddie two to three win type guy like McNeil to a superstar. Um, and there's positions like that kind of up and down the roster. I mean, two of the guys that just signed Mark Canna and Eduardo Escobar, they're great players, but they're kind of in that mold as well. And you figure if they just sign them, they're going to commit pretty significant playing time to them. So it's a bit of an, un- it's not a roster crunch in the traditional sense, I-, I-, I guess, because it's, it's just a lot of good players. It's a good problem to have, but you're right. They will need to find some way to package some of these guys for some help. And one of the more popular proposals or types of proposal, I guess, that we've been seeing on the site is the Mets trading for Jose Ramirez. And I don't think that makes much of any sense. And I think <laughs> I think Cleveland fans have been pretty adamant in that as well. And most of those trades get pretty heavily downvoted um, because the Guardians have a, a similar roster crunch. They We've talked about it at length on the podcast before. They really shuffled their 40-man roster before the Rule 5 protection deadline to get a bunch of prospects onto the roster, cut some of the chaff. They lost a lot of players in that process. You know, these guys with one to two million in surplus value still left, got claimed by a lot of other teams or traded for cash considerations, whatever. And so now that they've kind of sorted this issue out, they're not going to look to add five more prospects that need to be added to the 40 man in exchange for Jose Ramirez. Uh, That's just, I don't think that aligns really well with what their current goal is. And I think they, they rightfully think they have a chance to contend in in the AL Central again next year. So I don't even know if they want to move Ramirez in the first place. So I don't think that's the avenue the Mets take to kind of clear out this infield log jam. Um, But I did find a few interesting enough proposals um, just from the last couple of weeks or so from users of our site. Um, And and we're going to be going through a good handful of trade proposals from users in this episode. We're not going to go quite as in depth as we would for our normal trade of the week because we are doing so many of them. Uh, but I've picked a handful here for each of these topics we're going to cover. Um, so this first one's from user Clutch Fries, <laughs> um, and it's a straight one-for-one, one, sending Jeff McNeil at 15.1 million trade value to the Blue Jays in exchange for Alejandro Kirk at 15.8 million in median trade value. And I'm not sure I entirely love this one from the Mets' perspective. It's gotten uh, good good reception on both ends. It's got six thumbs up for the Mets, two thumbs down. Eight up for the Blue Jays, one down. I think it makes a lot of sense for the Blue Jays. They add a left-handed bat, kind of sort out their infield situation. McNeil and Biggio and Cabin Biggio are kind of similar players in the sense that, you know, solid left-handed bat, good approach at the plate, play a lot of positions, add some versatility. Um, and it, it kind of helps backfill for losing Marcus Simeon in free agency. Um, and they're, they're buying low on McNeil, who's coming off not his best year, but has shown much more talent in the past. And they have a logjam at catcher. So it makes some sense for them. I don't see it as much for the Mets. They have uh, James McCann locked in at catcher for the next three years, even though he wasn't great in 2021. Um, backing him up, they have Tomas Nito, who they like a lot defensively. I believe he's been DeGrom's personal catcher, sort of. Uh, yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then on the farm, they have Francisco Alvarez, who's one of the top catching prospects in baseball. So I'm not sure Kirk makes a ton of sense for them. He's also 
not the best defensive catcher. And so that's kind of just adding to their poor overall team defense. So I don't necessarily see it as much for the Mets unless they're going to go flip Kirk to the Marlins for one of their starting pitchers. Maybe that's the the move here, a three-team deal kind of thing. Yeah, but the Marlins just got uh, Jacob Stallings in true, trade. True, so true, true. I, I, I forgot about that. <laughs> that's okay. Yeah, but I would agree with your point, your last point there with Kirk um, not being a great defensive catcher. I think I see him more as a future DH. I mean, the guy can mm-hmm. rake, but he's you know not the greatest athlete otherwise, and he's not known for being a defender behind the plate. So I think if the, the DH comes to the National League, he'll have more potential trade options i think he is a guy that toronto could feel comfortable moving um uh, but it's mostly to you know a situation where they can play him as a dh right um and then the next interesting one that i found here was from user jp14 and it has mcneil at 15.1 and dom smith at 1.4 million median trade value heading to the boston red sox uh, for four players Infielder Jeter Downs at 11.8 million in median trade value. Uh, left-handed pitcher Chris Murphy at 2.2. Shortstop Brainer Bonacci at 2.6. And left-handed reliever Austin Davis at zero. So this is adding a couple, uh, again, a couple left-handed bats go to the Red Sox here. Um, they're kind of buying low rather than breaking the bank on a guy like Rizzo, Freeman, Schwarber, whoever. Instead, they're kind of making this budget additions here and, and not giving up anybody significant from their farm other than Jeter Downs, who's the headliner of it for the Mets. And and this kind of speaks to what I mentioned earlier, that Cohen and Alderson have been prioritizing, you know, improving the major league team, but also keeping the farm healthy. This kind of helps them do that. It adds a left-handed reliever in Davis to kind of backfill for losing Aaron Loop in free agency. Um, and this one has six thumbs up for the Mets, two thumbs down. Uh, four up for the Red Sox, one down. I don't think it's necessarily the most perfect fit. I think, you know, this is more of a plan C for the Red Sox. I think they're really set on bringing Schwarber back if they can. Uh, but I, I also don't hate it. I, I think it works out and it may be a lot cleaner than, than some of these other proposals we've seen. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I, 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 I'm squinting a little bit, but then I'm sorry. Yeah. Hmm, okay, I can kind of <laughs> see it. <laughs> you know, it makes a little bit of sense for both both sides um you know the the only thing that gives me a little bit of pause is jeter downs you know his, his stock has dropped because he had a pretty mm-hmm. pretty uh awful uh season in the minors and then he bounced back a little bit um in the afl uh, arizona fall lake but but it's mm-hmm. uh, you know it's a short sample i'm not sure that's enough to say hmm, is he is he is he right at the ship yet like so so he makes me a little bit nervous as a lead piece from the mets perspective but other than that i think it makes sense but in fairness, both Jeff McNeil and Dom Smith had their stock drop yeah, as well. Yeah, that's and true. They have defensive questions of their own, and I think there's some similarities there. And and I don't know. I, like this seems like the kind of trade that you know, if we hadn't seen this proposal before, we we get to late February, the Red Sox have missed out on a couple di- a couple guys, and then middle of the night, this one breaks, and we're all like, huh, like that that's. That's interesting. We, ne- yeah. we never thought about that, but it, but it kind of makes sense. Like that, that's kind of what this one feels like to me. It, it, that's a great point. And we will see some of those types of trades at sort of the tail end of things. Like, okay, mm-hmm. you know, the free agent market's been picked over. At that point, maybe a bunch of trades have happened and that's been picked over. So like, what do we got? So this feels more of a, like, okay, what's left <laughs> kind of trade. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. And then the last one I have here for the Mets, and it's it's McNeil again. Um, this one's from user Colmitch22, and this one's had a bit more of a mixed reception. Um, it's McNeil and Khalil Lee, outfield prospect at $4.5 million in median trade value, 
headed to the Chicago White Sox in exchange for left-handed pitcher Garrett Crochet at 22.6. And so Crochet obviously is is one of the better left-handed relievers in the game, and, and he potentially still has a chance to start down the line. I'm not sure if the White Sox are still thinking that for him. Um, but he's real, real high upside as, as a lefty thrown triple digits out of the bullpen. Um, it, you really can't come up with much of anybody better to replace Aaron Loop if you're the Mets and trying to fill that left-handed relief spot. Um, and the White Sox, after uh, de- declining the option on Cesar Hernandez and trading Nick Madrigal, they really need a second baseman. And so McNeil fills that slot for them. Get an outfield prospect in Khalil Lee to make up the difference. It's not completely made up. It's still 22.6 in trade value to 19.6. Um, headed to the White Sox, so not entirely, you, you know, you could see them haggling over adding another prospect into here, but it's within the margin of error. Um, and then the reception here, White Sox 14 thumbs up, 17 down, Mets 17 up, 13 down, so it's a little bit more skewed in the Mets' favor. I'm not sure I personally see the White Sox moving crochet. I think they have a whole lot of other options they could take instead to try and upgrade at second base, uh, where they do get to hold on to what's been a pretty solid bullpen that, bullpen that they've built. Um, but it, this is at least, I'll give them creativity points here. Yeah, I think this one's really interesting um, because it certainly does fill their second base hole. And, uh, you know, Kali, Kali's stock has dropped a little bit. He's been traded once or, or at least once. Um, but So I don't know. But I think they really like Crochet. And they've built a killer bullpen. Um, even if after they, assuming they trade Craig Kimbrell, they'll still have a killer bullpen. Um, and so, you know, I think in the, since they're in win now mode, they, they might want to keep him. And, and, and to your point, there's still a little bit of chance they could convert him into a starter. Um, I think they'll probably try to convert Michael Kopech in, back into a starter. That yeah. was the original plan. And he's been pitching out of the bullpen for the most part. For the, so I, probably plan A is let's fill, let's, let's stretch out Kopech. Plan B is, okay, you know, if that doesn't work, let's stretch out Crochet. But I don't know if it'll work because you take away his biggest strength, which is, you know, left-handed heat at a hundred miles an hour coming, you know, mm-hmm. that is, that is tough to beat. Um, so, you know, I think most of the industry sees crochet as a bullpen arm. There's also some interesting, industry, excuse me, injury risk there. Uh, you'll recall when they first brought him up and he, and he was in the playoffs in 2020, you know, his his, his arm was hanging down. Like, they thought, oh my God, mm-hmm. he needs TJ. And so he's managed to sort of work through that, but there's still sort of that lingering, does he need TJS? I'm not sure kind of question there with him. Um, so, and that hurts his value a little bit so but he's he's an awesome you know guy to come in in the seventh or eighth inning to shut people down as it is right now so um i i you know everybody would love that even with the injury risk um so i think this one for the most part makes sense you could kind of pick at it from a number of different angles but i think it makes sense for the most part Mm -hmm. yeah and i think that's kind of what the the up votes and down votes are showing as well um i had one more point i wanted to make on this kind of this logjam sort of, of of McNeil Davis and uh, and Smith. I think one of the bigger issues here is we identified you know they need another starting pitcher. That that's probably their biggest need right now. Bullpen, you know, there's still a f- few free agents out there in that mid tier range. Ryan Tapera, um, Andrew Chafin, guys like that. That you know they're going to cost 10, 12 million tops. Um, I just pulled that number out of nowhere. That that number could be a little bit off, but <laughs> they're going to cost somewhere in that 10, 12 million range. I'm guessing. Um, those guys are easy enough to pick up. They don't necessarily need to move some of their bigger chips for a reliever if they don't want to, but I think that that starting pitcher slot is going to be harder to fill. We're going to talk about it a little more later, but Carlos Rodon is really the last 
um, really talented starting pitcher and he has his own massive injury questions right now. And then after him, you kind of have this fall off to Tyler Anderson. Is that really who the Mets want? I don't know. Right. So you, you look at their, at these pieces that they have and you say, okay, well, what if they try to trade some of these guys for a starting pitcher? But the main teams with starting pitchers available are Oakland and Cincinnati. And this package of guys isn't going to get you close to Luis Castillo. You're going to have to add in a whole bunch of really talented prospects into that deal as well. Um, plus all three of these guys, you know, Davis, McNeil, and um, and Smith, they each have their defensive questions. And Cincinnati is a team that has been dealing with defensive issues of their own. So even if they are trying to thread the needle, you know, trade some of these starting pitchers, uh, but still compete, add a little bit around the rest of the roster, get a little cheaper... I don't know if that's necessarily the best fit for them since they need to kind of work on their defense. What does adding Jeff McNeil do to the equation other than kind of cement <laughs> cement Mike Moustakas' spot on the bench or force a Eugenio Suarez into playing more shortstop or, or something like that? So I don't think it's a great fit for the Reds. And then in Oakland, they're also, you know, they, they've not publicly stated, but it's been widely reported that, you know, they're looking to move a lot of their more expensive players, but they do want to at least try to contend they've never been a team to full out tank intentionally go for that hundred loss season so it's reasonable to expect them to look for some of these types of guys in return but they also have you know their top prospects coming up are infielders i'm not sure mcneil makes a whole lot of sense for them and, and these guys with three years of control mcneil and davis that's only a year more of control than chapman and olsen and montas have so i mean it's one thing if they're trading those guys for big leaguers with four or five years of control, but once you get to the three-year territory, it's like, how much sense does that actually make? You're really just kicking the can one year down the road. If McNeil has a big season, then suddenly you're in the same spot where he's just as expensive as a couple of those guys were getting. So there's not a super clean fit with the teams that have starting pitching and the, the pro the, excuse me, not the prospects, the major league players that the, Mets are trying to offload here from this little log jam. I think the one potential solution there is Miami, um, but but we can we can maybe get into that a little bit later as well. Trades are hard, right? Yeah. <laughs> okay, the Mets want to say they want to shop these three guys for a starting pitcher, but your point is, well, the two teams that have starting pitchers to shop don't want those three guys. <laughs> so exactly. <laughs> now what? So maybe there's a three-way somewhere. Uh, or maybe it's two steps. Maybe you trade those guys for something for some prospects, and then you do the flip the prospects to Oakland or Cincinnati. Something, but that's essentially a three-way anyway, just broken down in two steps. But something like that. And I mean, there's plenty of options here, you know, that that can kind of come out of nowhere. You know, I'm thinking right now of a team like the Royals. The Royals have a pretty good stockpile of young pitching themselves. Now they're not very proven, but they have a pretty good stockpile and. You know, I could see something out of the box happening there. The Royals make some weird trades a lot of <laughs> weird, weird decisions in that front office. And, and we always have things like that. You know, obviously, Montas, Manaya, Bassett, Castillo, Gray. Those are like kind of the big five right now of of these starting pitcher names that we know are kind of on the trade block. There's probably a couple others you could throw in there, but those are kind of the top five. And there's, there's definitely going to be more than five starting pitchers traded. I mean, well... Uh, let me take that back. <laughs> I don't think those five would be the only starting pitchers traded between now and the start of the season, even if a couple of them stay put. You know, Castillo 
maybe Montas, if those guys stay put, there, there's still going to be a couple other guys from other teams that we're not aren't necessarily on our radar now that get traded, and maybe those teams are a better fit for McDeal or, or Davis or whoever. But the main point I'm trying to make right now is that it's not as simple as, oh, you know, McNeil's in about the 15 range. Bassett's kind of in that territory too. Just slap on another prospect and it's done. Like there's, they're not a great fit for those two specific teams in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. I was going to add, um, the Marlins are the only other team that comes to mind with a surplus of pitchers and they're looking mm-hmm. probably to move one. Um, a lot of smart folks in the industry think it's going to be Ilyes or Hernandez that gets moved. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have a lot of trade value, though, because he's been injured a lot, and he's, you know, middle-ish back-end guy anyway when he's healthy. So he's not going to bring you too much, but maybe you can line one up. But then the problem is you're trading within the division, and they're both trying to compete. So Mets and Marlins, are, you know, they're probably not going to make that deal. So that's a, <laughs> further complicates the issue. Exactly. All right, uh, we'll, we'll definitely be talking more starting pitching a little later in the episode. Do we want to move on to our next topic, though? Uh, yeah, let's talk Rangers. That was the other sort of big, big player in the free agent market. Um, they made a big splash signing Marcus Simeon and Corey Seager. So the obvious sort of takeaway from that is you've got lock, you know, let's assume for the moment that Simeon plays second and Seager plays short. You've got those two middle infield positions locked up. Semyon for seven years, Seager for 10. Now, obviously, things can change in, over time. But the, for the moment, let's say, okay, you've locked up those two middle infield positions for the foreseeable future. So now, if you look at the Rangers' prospect list, this is what sort of intrigues me. You think they've got a lot of second-base prospects. And those guys are now blocked by Semyon in particular, assuming my assumption is correct. So, you know, Justin Foscue may be available in trade. Um Josh Smith is primarily a second baseman. Uh, Ezekiel Duran, who they picked up from the Yankees in the Gallo trade, is also a second baseman. You know, and you can extend that to a shortstop like Maximo Acosta. So the Rangers have a deep-ish farm of mid-tier prospects, several of whom play up the middle infield positions. And so you got to think they've got some capital to work with there if they want to further improve. They've got a lot of other holes to fill, but I can see them shop in those kinds of middle infield prospects and there are teams like we just mentioned that could line up well with them the a's are going to look for prospects the reds are going to look for prospects turns out the rangers probably could use another uh, starting pitcher or two now the question there is are they going to be competitive in 2022 or they maybe just making noise now for but their real window is 2023 and beyond i'm sort of in the camp of they've got too many holes to fill and they've kind of jumped the gun a little bit with Seager and Simeon, but they're really going to be competitive uh, 2023 because they've got some prospects coming up. Josh Jung is their top prospect. He's a third baseman. So now you can imagine third, short, and second being filled starting in like, you know, effectively, you know, in 2023. So they'll make a little bit of noise maybe. Now we don't know exactly how the, the, the you know, once the lockout ends and the new CBA comes, maybe more teams make the playoffs we're not sure maybe they can sneak into a wild card best case scenario 22 i'm not seeing it quite yet but i know they're not done yet so my point is they're probably not going to be competitive for you know truly competitive until 2023 ish which means that they may not want a guy back if they trade some of these middle infield prospects with only one year of control which eliminates bassett and Manaya. so now they're looking at at 
you know, at minimum, a guy with two years control. So maybe Montaz, maybe Sonny Gray, you know, uh, the, uh, maybe Tyler Molly from the Reds. But even then, you know, if you're competitive in 2023, you've only got an overlap of one year there in that window unless you extend the guy. So it's tricky for them, too. So uh, I think they're more likely to maybe, you know, target a starting pitcher in trade, you know, who has more um, more years of control. But I'm not sure who that would be off the top of my head because those guys are generally not available. It's the onesie twosies that are in terms of years of control. Three and up, yeah, that's a harder sell. So I'm not sure what they're going to get. Yeah, those are all really strong points. And one more name I would add to that sort of log jam, and, and I don't think he's necessarily as much of a factor in it, but Isaiah Kiner-Falefa, mm-hmm. he has a more solid big league role. I, I thought it was weird that you know they went out and got two of the top infielders on the on the market, but they got the two that aren't really shortstops. I thought that was kind of weird, um, especially <laughs> since they... It, it would be one thing if they signed the two of them and they said, okay, Corey Seager's our third baseman, let's go. But they didn't. They're going to give him the starting shortstop job and let him kind of... You know, he'll. Everyone kind of assumes he'll move off of it to third base at some point in the contract, and they're going to kind of let that happen as as it needs to. But that leaves a plus plus shortstop defender in Isaiah Kiner-Falefa just without a starting spot. I mean, he'll he'll slide over to third base for the time being, it seems like. But then they got uh, is it Josh Young, right? Yeah, I always mix him up. I think his brother Jace Young is a is a top draft prospect this year. But yeah, Josh Young. That's right. As their top third base prospect, he's almost ready. And so once he's up, the whole infield's kind of clogged and there's no natural spot for Isaiah Kiner-Falefa. And, you know, we're, we're talking about Isaiah Kiner-Falefa. He's not a superstar. He doesn't need to be guaranteed a spot. He's probably best in a bit more of a utility role long term. But for now, he's one of their better players because, as, as you mentioned, they're still not a very complete team. And so it's it's weird that they would block one of their better players like this. And so there's been... Some speculation of, of whether he could get traded. Um, I know he's been his name has been brought up with the Yankees previously. I have a few. I have a couple trade proposals with him, and a couple more with just you know the the rest of their kind of farm. Uh, so let's let's go through the kind of Falefa ones first. I really like this first one actually. So it's again from Cole Mitch 22, who's been putting in a lot of work on the website lately. Um, and this is a three-team deal between the Yankees, Rangers, and Diamondbacks, and so. The Yankees are acquiring Isaiah Kiner-Falefa, who we have at $8.5 million in trade value, as well as Paven Smith from the Diamondbacks at $12.8 million in trade value. So they get a total of $21.3 million. The Rangers acquire Jordan Montgomery from the Yankees, starting pitcher, at $24.6 million in trade value. And the D-backs get... Uh, Dustin Harris, infield prospect at $4.9 million in trade value, and Leody Tavares, outfield prospect at $9.1 million. And so they get 14 in exchange for, for just giving up Smith at 12.8. And so this is interesting. I like it a lot, a lot for the Yankees because they fill two positions of need. A shortstop, obviously, they, they have a black hole right there right now. And Paven Smith has been capable in center field, plus he's a left-handed bat, plus he's cheap. That That's the biggest part for them is this helps them with their luxury tax issues if they really want to stay under that which they seem like they might want to so they they kind of fill their needs here the rangers get a pretty solid pretty underrated starting pitcher in montgomery you you could argue that you know the yankees can't afford to lose montgomery he's one of their best guys but you know you gotta gotta give if you want to get and you can also definitely argue that montgomery with only two years of control 
as you were alluding to, isn't necessarily a good fit for the Rangers. If they don't contend in 2022, if they're not ready yet, then only one more year of the guy. And I don't know if he's a guy that you extend to some big deal. And, and the D-backs, they kind of kick the can down the road a little bit. They get a younger... Uh, Tavares is is only 22. That, that puts him three years younger than Smith. Um, he's got real high upside, but really hasn't put much of anything together at the big league level. And, and they add another prospect in Harris as well. So I don't think this is by any means the perfect deal, but I think it's really creative, really interesting. Um, and, and I don't think it's super unrealistic. Yeah. I, you know, first of all, shout out to Colmich 2022. He always thinks through these things and makes reasonable, you know, reasonable uh, proposals. So thank you for that. Um, and this is yet another one, as you pointed out, maybe it's not perfect. The thing that I struggle with a little bit is having just made the point about the Rangers not competing with Montgomery. He only has two years of control, as you mentioned. So it's hard for me to sort of, you know, it's, it's pushing it a little bit and he's, He's a middle rotation starter. He's very effective. I think he's very underrated. Um, he's got a lot of surplus because he's so cheap. He's only making like $2 million. So, um, you know, you're getting a lot of bang for your buck there. Um, I have to say, I'm not a big Isaiah Kiner-Falefa fan. Um, I like his, um, you know, baseball IQ and, a, and his versatility, but the guy just can't hit. There's no power there at all. So his numbers, his WC pluses have never been high. He's always been below average as a hitter. And those are not generally pieces you, you know, you want to focus on in a trade return. That's sort of a, a nice to have, not a must have. But I, I get it. Like if the if the Yankees don't solve this shortstop problem some other way, you know, maybe he's Plan C or D or E. You know, that just trade strikes me as Plan C or D for a couple of those teams. So it, not the ideal fit. Uh, so it's okay. It's reasonable. If the, if the market's been picked over at that point, but I don't love it otherwise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I just like the, like I said, I just like the creativity points. And, and Pavin Smith is a piece that makes sense for the D-backs to potentially move. They have a lot of talented outfield prospects and first base prospects, and that's those are his positions. Um, they have, you know, Alec Thomas and Corbin Carroll are coming up through the system. Uh, Christian Robinson, we, we I think we discussed on a prior episode some of his legal troubles and, and kind of setting him back, and he's probably a couple years from the big leagues anyway, but he's also in the mix there, and there's a couple other outfield names as well. They got Seth Beer at first base. Um, Christian Walker is already a, a big leaguer at first base, and there's a couple other names in there. They're, one of their breakout prospects, gosh, I'm blanking on his name, from Baseball America is a first baseman as well, lower minors guy. Um but, but in any event, that kind of leaves the long-term picture a little bit crowded. Dalton Varsho, former top catching prospect, has been playing some outfield as well. And so right now there's a spot for Pavin Smith, but in the future there might not be. And and I like him in particular as a Yankees fit. Maybe that's maybe that's why I like this deal so much, and, and maybe it's more realistic as, as an individual deal between those two teams. Yeah, I could see it. Um... So I'm looking at the uh, Diamondbacks prospect list. Were you thinking of uh, Davis and De Los Santos? Yes. Yeah. He has big raw power. Apparently, he yeah. jumped up Baseball America's list this year. Absolutely. I noticed that as well. Um, it wasn't even on our radar until he suddenly popped up. So um, yeah, they're apparently big time. He's listed as a third baseman right now, but to your point, he may maybe the kind of fit that longer longer term is first base so you know seth beer is probably a dh once the uh, the dh comes to the national league that's probably where he lands um yeah i mean the diamondbacks have a very strong farm you know so it's arguable 
you know, that they need more prospects because they're already kind of loaded. Um, and, and even, and, and getting there and, and again, they're going to have another high draft pick. So, um, you know, but like I said earlier, it's, it's, you know, it's not a, it's not a plan A trade. It's a plan C trade. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. One other kind of falafel trade I have, and this one's, this one's kind of fun. This one was actually submitted today by user Red Valley. And it has Kiner Falefa heading to the Phillies in exchange for right-handed pitcher Kyle Gibson at 6.1 and shortstop prospect Jamari Baylor at 2.5. And so it's 8.6 to 8.5, pretty even. Obviously, the Rangers just traded Gibson to the Phillies last trade deadline, but that didn't quite turn out well, as, as some folks predicted. <laughs> um, maybe Gibson and his lower strikeout rates didn't do so well in front of the really poor Phillies defense. Uh, but they need a real answer at shortstop. And again, not saying that Kiner Falefa is any superstar, but he's a massive, massive defensive upgrade there over what they have. I think he's a decent piece for them. Again, it's more of a plan C type thing if they don't get Trevor Story or someone else, bigger name, more talented player. But I think he makes sense for them, and I could see them, you know, maybe a little bit soured on Gibson after after how that went. And, and maybe the, the Rangers, who did so well with him and, and developed him into a valuable trade piece. Maybe, Hey, come back. We're, we're going to try and put something together this time. And, and the, the biggest issue here is that Gibson is just a rental. He only has one year left on of, of team control, but I mean, if he's had so much success in Texas and maybe there's a mutual fit there where they can come together on an affordable contract extension, especially as he enters his mid to late thirties. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I mean, I, I give Texas credit for um, finding, bringing the best out of Kyle Gibson. I mean, they really like figured it out with him and to the point where he had a lot of trade value at the deadline. So good for them. Um, so maybe if he goes back to them, they could say, hey, remember what we said? OK, great. Let's do that again. So, um, yeah, but you have to kind of squint because typically you don't see a pattern where a guy gets traded and then he gets you know, tr- traded back again. Um, so there's that. Um, I do like... Uh, Isaiah, uh, I do like Kiner Falefa, <laughs> hard time saying his name, <laughs> IKF uh, to the Phillies as a shortstop though. And you make a great point about the defense. Like if they can, if the Rangers want to shop him, the ideal fit for him would be, you know, for a team that really needs improvement on the left side of their defense, where they play, whether they play much short or third. He's he's excellent club wise on both, and and particularly if they have ground ball pitchers. Uh, for some reason, I'm thinking about the Cubs and like Wade Miley, you know, who's a lefty you know, who gets a lot of ground ball outs because he's going to be facing a lot of righties. And so they're hitting the left side. And so there you go. And then, you know, Kyle, Kyle Hendricks, ground ball pitcher, obviously, pitching some contact. So he would be a nice fit there. Obviously, the Cubs, who knows what their strategy is, but he's only got two years of control, speaking about KF. So I don't know if that's a fit. But it strikes me as uh, you want to go to a place like that where you're sort of taking advantage of this, the pitcher's style. So which would fit him like a glove. So I, I I do like that Cubs fit. Right now their middle infield is is Nico Horner and Nick Madrigal, and, and those two are fine mm-hmm. and and talented young players, but neither of them have the glove of IKF. And and you're right, they especially adding Marcus Stroman just now. One, we're even ah, more yeah. curious about about what their plan is right now, what their strategy is, what if they're going for it. And two, that's just another more contact oriented pitcher. Um, and and the the other sort of irony of trading Kiner Falefa for Gibson is that maybe Gibson is one of those reasons that the Phillies need to upgrade their defense is so that he can pitch more effectively for them. So maybe it, it doesn't make as much sense to trade him out in that deal. Yeah. Uh, but I, but I, that is a good point. I, I do like that Cubs fit more than I, I, that's not one I had thought of. No, I, I just, 
just popped in my head. Um, but they seem to have the the, the corner corner of the market on contact oriented pitchers, so maybe he would benefit from that. So okay. And then um, I do just have a couple kind of example deals here with some of their uh, some of that middle infield logjam of prospects that they have. Um, to me, the biggest issue, I mean, you really outlined their whole kind of competitive window issue. And uh, their their greatest positions of need are, are all over the roster, being frank. But it's it's primarily outfield and starting pitching. And so we talked about the starting pitching market. It's pretty heavily angled towards one and two year players. So maybe that's not as favorable for them. But then the outfield market, the trade market's kind of weak. Um, we don't really foresee the the Pirates trading Brian Reynolds or the Orioles trading Cedric Mullins. We think, you know, by all reports, they really plan on hanging on to those two guys for at least the next year or two. And so once you get past that, there aren't any names that really jump out at you as a controllable outfield. So I think that's the biggest issue here for the Rangers is it's kind of like what we were saying with the Mets. You know, they have these pieces to trade, but none of the players that they want are necessarily available or, or quite match up with exactly what they need. So a couple examples of that. Um, this first one is the Rangers acquiring Matt Olson from the A's and, and, you know, immediately alarm bells are ringing because interdivision trade, but Olson at 45.3 million in trade value in exchange, the athletics would acquire Ezekiel Duran second baseman at 18 and a half, Nathaniel Lowe first baseman at 18 and a half and Josh Smith second baseman at 7.6. So it's 45.3 to the Rangers, 44.6 to the A's. Um, so pretty fair. Um, this one, oh, excuse me, forgot to mention, this one was submitted by user JRRJR, and it's got two thumbs up for the Rangers, no thumbs down, no thumbs up for the A's, five thumbs down. And and I think I would agree with that assessment entirely. Like, not only are the A's trading Olsen within the division, but they're getting back, you know, I, I don't discount the possibility of them targeting a guy like Lowe, or if they're dealing with the Yankees, a guy like Voigt to kind of backfill the position there and, and add some more team control while they're at it. I don't discount that possibility, but I don't know if that's necessarily the focus of the deal. And, and Lowe as being one of the kind of co-headliners here, the two guys worth 18 and a half. Um, and then Ezekiel Duran has had some strikeout issues in the minor leagues. And so, and as a second base primary, maybe he's not, again, maybe he's just not the type of piece that they want headlining a deal like this. I do like Josh Smith. He feels like a, a very A's-ish player, mm-hmm. but I, I just don't think this deal quite gets it done for them. And I'm not sure, I'm not even entirely sure it makes a ton of sense for the Rangers to, again, be replacing one of the better players that they have on their roster with an upgrade rather than going and trying to fill the other holes that they have. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, it's not their first priority to upgrade first. I think they've got um, other holes that are higher priority. Um, you know, outfield comes to mind. Um, I mean, Lowe's a, Lowe's a big leaguer. He's not, maybe not be as, doesn't have the ceiling of a superstar, but he's probably a two war player in his prime, you know, so it's not, it's not a black hole there at all. And they traded for him last year and I think they still have some faith in him. So I'm not sure. And, and he fit, also fits their years of control to your point. So, um, I'm not sure Olsen makes a whole lot of sense given other needs. Um, and I'm not crazy about it from the A's point of view because two second basemen, you know, it's just like, and a, and a guy that may not, you know, be all that for their next window. I mean, even if they don't do a total tank job on this resale, you know, in the past, they've typically had three down years before they came back up again. And so if you just go with that assumption, you're going to want guys who are really going to, 
you know, be younger ma uh, minor leaguers, prospects that are sort of at the high level or thereabouts, you know, to come up with their top prospects at Tyler Silverstrom to form the next core, which would hit in like 2024 and really be a playoff team in 2025, something along that line in timeline wise. So, um, and then, you know, if you look at the A's prospects, they've got some middle uh, infield prospects as well. So, um, you know, their top draft choice, Max Muncy is a shortstop, but he's probably gonna be blocked by another one of their better prospects, Nick Allen, who looks like a fantastic glove shortstop. So then you've got short and second, maybe, you know, obviously you don't know how prospects are gonna turn out, but you know, it's not their biggest need from a, from a team building perspective to have more middle infielders. So I don't like it from that perspective either. And if you're if you're looking at the A's rebuild, and, and this is another thing that we'll be touching on throughout this episode, or I guess rebuilding quotes there, if you want to call it a retool. But the, you look at, they got those five players that are supremely available in Olsen, Chapman, Bassett, Manaya, Montas. And you could you can make it a case for them trading Sean Murphy, given the, the lack of a catching market and some teams that still need one. You can make a case for them trading Ramon Laureano, although I think the, the PED suspension complicates that pretty considerably. Uh, but between those guys, and I don't deny that they are going to try and remain somewhat competitive field, uh, <laughs> as Billy Bean once famously said, a representative product. But I don't deny that. But you, but they really have to, if they want to keep threading this needle of, of doing these three-year sort of rebuilds and get back into it, they really have to get it right with, with the trades that they do make. Um, there, there's a lot of pressure there. There was a There was a foolish baseball tweet from a few days ago saying, you know, every every Oakland A's farm system report is just here's Tyler Soderstrom and a bunch of other guys, <laughs> and that's that's pretty accurate. Yeah, he's it's, not wrong. <laughs> depending depending on where you look, it's it's Tyler Soderstrom is pretty much the unanimous number one, and Zach Geloff, who third baseman, I believe he was their second round pick this year. He's mm -hmm. making some noise. Some publications have bumped him up to kind of the next guy behind Geloff. I know Fangraphs has him as number two, as like a 45 FV or something like that. But he's potentially the heir apparent to Matt Chapman, and he's a college guy, could maybe move through the system a little quicker. But after that, it's just a bunch of guys, you know. And, and I know the Oakland fan base loves Nick Allen. He's he's a great defensive shortstop, but the bat's always going to be a question. Max Muncy, you know, high school guy, he's got some upside, but he's so far away, and, and there are questions about yeah. him as well. And then you just keep going down that system. They got a bunch of relievers. In, like, in their in their top 33 um, from, from Fangraphs, it's a bunch of relievers <laughs> making yeah. up most of it. <laughs> right. Which is, which is fine, you know. Every but team it's not a relievers. good sign for the health of the right. farm. Right. And there's been questions about their player development in recent years as well. Uh, but, they, but they really need to nail these handful of trades that they make and especially Olsen because he's the big one. So I'm not sure. I'm not sure this is necessarily nailing it is yeah. adding, you know, another decent, but not necessarily high upside first baseman with an extra couple years of control and a high strikeout second baseman and an interesting mid tier prospect who again is also a second baseman in Smith. So I, I don't think this quite does it for him. I think if this if this were the best offer on the table, I think you might even see them hanging on to Olsen until the deadline. But I I don't think this is the best offer on the table for them. I think there's going to be plenty of competition for him. Yeah, kind of pushes it pushes it to something that not necessarily is excessively higher than this in terms of trade value, but is just a better fit for them. I agree. Um, and maybe this is the right time to note that um, 
in one of the recent Fangraphs chats, Eric Longenhagen, the prospect guy, did sort of disclose that the A's, the, the one rumor he did hear about Olsen was that um, there's a potential trade brewing where they get back a 50, a 50, and a third piece. And, you know, if you look at his trade value at 45, a 50 is usually for position players right around 22-ish. Um, you know, uh, another 50, um, you figure maybe not quite as, you know, maybe just a, a little bit below that, or maybe a pitcher is, you figure around 18 or so. So that's 40. And then a third piece, four or five, that may be, you know, um, like a, you know, a 40-ish, you know, position player or a 45 pitcher. So so it's going it, to, it, it gave me confidence that our 45, you know, estimate is pretty close if he's right if the rumor has it but it's also sort of indicative of the kind of talent they're they're looking to get back so um and and this one is fine in terms of you know you got essentially two 18s and a and a, and a high 45 so it's it's sort of not quite the mix but it's sort of a different way to crunch the numbers but but i think what what they're going to end up with as a package is more on the prospect side rather you know with 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 something like that yeah yeah a shameless plug right here while we're talking about A's trades. Go check out John's article on the Josh Donaldson disaster. Uh, we, we'll, <laughs> oh my we'll be, God. <laughs> we'll be covering both that article and the Christian Yelich trade in, in depth on a future episode, but go check out the article if you want to see um, what it looks like when, when the A's don't get one of these right and what they what they should try not to do with Matt Olson. Yeah, that's a, that's a, I'm, I'm hoping that they, nobody, I don't, I don't say that for being a fan of any team, but nobody should make a, a trade that dumb. That's, that's yeah. just inexcusable. <laughs> Yep. yep. All right. One last one here with the Rangers, and then we can move on to our next one. Um, so this one, this trade is again submitted by JRRJR. Didn't even notice that, um, but but I guess maybe he's a Rangers fan. Um, so this one has the the Rangers acquiring left-handed pitcher John Means, and at uh, 41.8 million in median trade value from the Baltimore Orioles in exchange for Kiner Falefa at eight and a half, Duran at 18 and a half. Um, Owen White at seven and a half right-handed pitcher and third baseman Davis Wenzel at 6.6. And so first immediate well, Okay. Values line up 41.8 to the Rangers, 41.1 to the Orioles, four thumbs up to no thumbs down for the Rangers, three up, three down for the Orioles. Immediate response to this is I don't think the Orioles have any use for Isaiah Kiner-Falefa. I think that's, that's a spot that definitely should be replaced in this deal by another prospect the Orioles are at least another year or two off from doing much of anything and and I don't think they need a glove first shortstop they keep getting those types of guys by signing you know Freddie Galvis or Jose Iglesias to a one-year free agent deal every season they don't they don't need to do that again for they don't need to trade a significant asset for for that type of guy they, they just grab them on the free agent market um so yeah I don't I don't think that part of it makes sense again I don't love Duran as a headliner for one of their top trade chips. I don't think the Rangers are necessarily keen on trading Owen White. He just had a breakout performance in the Arizona Fall League. He, it was really, this was really his first full season of pitching because of, you know, I think he had Tommy John in 2019 and then the 2020 season was lost. And so they're finally seeing on the mound. He's been really impressive for them. I think that's the type of guy they might want to hang on to and see if he continues to, to grow, to blossom. Um, so, so a lot, a handful of issues with th- this one, which is again just to make that point that I was kind of mentioning that 
it's there's not a clean fit for the Rangers, both in terms of their competitive window and the players that they have available and the types of players they need to add. I'm totally with you. I don't see IKF being a, of interest at all to Baltimore this, for the reasons you mentioned. So I think, you know, there's still a ways away at your point. You know, they need prospects. Um, now, they do have one of the better farms. Um, they've got one of the best prospects in baseball and Adley Rutschman and a couple of good ones behind him as well. But they're going to need a lot more. And so, you know, it's got to be all prospects. They're not going to be interested in wasting trade value of means on you know, uh, on, a, on an IKF kind of guy. So um, for that reason, I'm out on this one, but the other pieces are sort of mildly interesting, but it's not quite the right package. Yeah. The, the one other avenue, and I don't have a trade pulled up for this one, but the one other avenue I could see them getting something done with this log jam is, again, Miami. And Miami is looking a little bit more toward contending. They're not pushing all their chips in necessarily, but they traded for Stallings. They signed, obviously, Al Garcia. They're, they're done losing is, is a better way to put it. I don't think they're necessarily going all in, but within that log jam, you figure maybe they could move from some of their prospects rather than just their big league assets. So you're looking at a guy like Max Meyer. I think that would be an interesting one, you know, and the, the Marlins have been no strangers to those types of challenge trades before. Right. Uh, the Zach Gallon for Zach, uh, for jazz Chisholm comes to mind. And so I could maybe see some sort of a framework there with Max Meyer headed to the Rangers. But again, it just hinges on whether the Rangers have what the Marlins want. And I'm not sure the Marlins' top priority right now is adding second base prospects. I, I think they want to add yeah. big league pieces, and I don't think the Rangers really have any of those to offer for Myers. Yeah, and it wouldn't make sense. I mean, the main thing that the Marlins have said they wanted is a center fielder, a bona fide center fielder. You know, and I... I kind of agree with you that Pittsburgh's probably not moving Reynolds and Baltimore's probably not moving Mullins, but if they're blown away by an offer, as they've said, maybe, and maybe the Marlins would have to pony up for like a serious, you know, package for one of those two guys. Um, that would be a blockbuster. It wouldn't surprise me necessarily because it would fit both, but at the same time, that's a, it's going to be a high price to pay for Miami. I'm not sure if they're ready to do it. Mm -hmm. All right, John, where are we headed next? So um, I, I realized my list is quite long and it would, <laughs> we'd be here for five hours if we went through every single team situation. So I'm going to prioritize. Um, the two I want to talk about next, just give you a heads up, are the Yankees and the Padres. Got it. Okay. So starting with the Yankees, um, they were very quiet uh, leading up to the lockout. Um, a lot of their fans wanted them to you know, sign a big free agent, it was, whether it was Seager or Correa, they haven't done so yet. And there are even reports that they were not going to sign one of the big name shortstops um, because they wanted to, um, you know, just kind of keep the seat warm at shortstop until one of their top prospects comes up. Presumably Anthony Volpe, who's had a breakout year and he's their top prospect overall. Potentially also Oswald Peraza, if he's not traded in another deal, is another shortstop prospect. So what they're saying is, um, yes, they want to fill a shortstop hole, but it may not be with one of those big name free agent guys. There's Correa and Story left on the market. If one of those, uh, I don't see Correa falling to them in terms of price. If Story's market completely falls apart, maybe. But they mentioned it's probably more likely they would go for like a placeholder like an Anderson Simmons or something like that at short. But they do need to find like an actual shortstop because they clearly tested uh, Glaber Torres there and he's not a shortstop. So they got to fill that hole some way presumably with a placeholder guy like that. 
that's one hole. First base, another hole. They've been heavily rumored in medals and deals. Um, they've got a question mark in center field. Aaron Hicks is oft injured and has not been terribly productive. And so he's like the kind of guy, like if you don't want to necessarily count on him as being your, your, your center fielder for the year, if anything you get out of him at this point is gravy, he's still signed to a long-term contract. So he's not really tradable. So they're kind of stuck with him, but maybe he's a bench guy. So, but they, it's another hole. So then now you got shortstop first base center field, uh, Still some questions about Gary Sanchez behind the plate. They decided to tender him, so maybe they haven't totally given up on him yet, but that still remains to be seen. But there's not much, as you alluded to, in the catcher market left, so who knows? Maybe they just sort of say, okay, well, there's not much better, so let's just stick with him. So that's four That's four positions in question right there. And then they could probably use another pitcher, uh, starting pitcher in particular. So that's five holes. And I wrote an article about this recently, how they were kind of stuck because they were already over the... the um, their budget is already over the luxury tax limit. Maybe that doesn't bother them because they reset in 2021. So, you know, their penalties are going to be a little bit smaller in 2022. Seems like that's probably the case. So they might try to fill those holes with free agency. But then again, all the big free agents, not all of them, but a lot of them have been picked over already. So what are they going to do? So in my view, they're probably going to, you know, placeholder shortstop probably try to trade for medals and for first um i don't see them trading for the farm for mullins or or reynolds and center so i'm not quite sure what they're going to do there and then maybe grabbing a maybe rodon's a fit for pitcher or maybe they're they're looking at uh like a mania or a bassett for to fill a one-year a one-year guy that won't cost as much in trade capital i can see that being a fit there as well so there's a few possibilities going on there with the yankees they're gonna, they coming out of lockout they'll be very interesting players mm-hmm. all right got a couple for you all, all right. right first up again cole mitch 22 <laughs> he's, <laughs> he's got the Yankees adding Harrison Bader, center fielder, at 22.2 million, and Paul DeYoung, shortstop, mm-hmm. at four and a half million. So that's 26.7 total. In exchange, the Cardinals really, uh, receive Jordan Montgomery at 24.6, and Chad Green at 5.3. So they get 29.9 total. Uh, this one's got four thumbs up for the Yankees, one down, and four up for the Cardinals, five down. Um, that I I think I'd I'd agree with that assessment. You know, the Cardinals don't have a natural replacement for Bader in center field. I think they're fine getting rid of DeYoung and his contract. And I think, I don't think there's any issue with them adding green and Montgomery. I'd assume those thumbs downs were for the loss of Bader on the Yankees end of it. I don't necessarily love it either. I mean, Bader and DeYoung are two. I mean, Bader had a, had a decent season in 2021, but they are both two lighter hitting right-handed hitters and that's not necessarily something the Yankees need lighter hitting high strikeouts more power oriented they got a lot of those guys they were really looking for left-handed solutions at some of these spots they need to fill and I don't know how excited they are to be moving Montgomery but again Mitch coming out here with the (laughs) Cole Mitch coming out here with these creative alternatives that are that are different from you know what you just see on Twitter every day and so I, I definitely respect that and I I don't hate this one. It's it's, it's kind of interesting. I think it would require more moves to be made on both ends, but maybe the Yankees do this in addition to a Matt Olson trade. The Cardinals do this and sign somebody. I don't know. Maybe they trade for Kevin Kiermaier or whatever. Uh, but I, I like this. So my first reaction, and I agree with you, Colmich, yet another uh, creative trade. My first reaction was, as Jim Bowden would say, our favorite our favorite writer, um, it's borrowing from Peter to pay Paul. 
Like yeah. you're 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 making if you're the Yankees, you're making your team weaker by giving up a starter and a reliever who you rely on, both of whom you rely on heavily. So you've created two new holes to fill two other holes. And so that's my first reaction. My second reaction is, hmm. And now it's like a joke that you get after like five, five seconds, like, oh, and then it thinks it, oh, yeah, that kind of makes sense. Like the more I think about Bader in center field with the Yankees, the more I like it. Uh, but then you wonder, well, he's kind of a crowd favorite in St. Louis and they've got their own needs. And then what, how do they backfill for him? And I'm actually one of these people who defends Bader because people think, oh, he can't hit. He's just the club first guy. And that's that's definitely the reputation. But he actually, if you look at his numbers, he's not as bad a hitter as you think. And he had it coming off a pretty good year, even at the plate. So, you know, he, he could be one of these guys that's kind of growing into his bat in addition to the, the amazing glove. So, um, so I would like it for the Yankees if it weren't giving up two core pieces. Uh, I mean, Green, they probably rely on him more than anybody. So getting rid of him, uh, you know, I know they've got some other guys who sort of, you know, Nestor Cortez came out of nowhere. Loisica had an amazing year. So maybe they can backfill for for him in the bullpen if they lose Green. He's only got one year control left. So maybe, I don't know. It's just like, it's not quite perfect because you're, you're gaining two and you're losing two. And the same could be said for the Cardinals. Mm-hmm. It, that that's kind of how I see it too, where, you know, they're losing two core pieces in green and Montgomery, but those are the kinds of guys that the Cardinals would need to target. If they are going to move these guys, the Cardinals are still contending. They need pitching. They're not going to do a trade like this for Davey Garcia and Clark Schmidt and whoever they're, they're looking to win. Now they have Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt on the roster. They got to yeah. capitalize on that. So I could maybe, squint and you know there's there's a way to find this to make this work as a three-team deal i think but yeah as is i don't i don't think this is quite there but i it's it's definitely interesting it's definitely creative um yeah yeah i like the out of the box thinking here yeah uh quick note to you john we have montgomery's secondary position listed as a right-handed relief pitcher when he is a lefty don't know how oh, that happened, you. and I'm surprised uh, okay. we haven't heard about that before. <laughs> copy, it's probably a copy-paste error. I'll yeah. fix that. Thank you. Got it. All right, and then one last one here on the Yankees. And this one was, I believe this proposal, I haven't been able to find it again because it's it's paywalled, uh, but I believe this proposal was actually uh, written up by Joel Sherman in the New York Post Plus, uh, either today or yesterday, and, and somebody just submitted it on our site to see how the values matched up. So this one's from the Doug Rush, who I've also... I believe I've seen him using our, our site on Twitter pretty frequently. Yep. Yep. Um, so this one, orig- original proposal from Joel Sherman, but submitted to the site by Doug Rush, has the Yankees acquiring Matt Olson at 45.3 and Elvis Andrews at negative 4.2 in exchange for Jason Dominguez, outfield prospect at 25, Luis Hill, starting pitching prospect at 13.1, and Chad Green at 5.3 and so the value is 43.4 headed to oakland 41.1 to the yankees yankees have four thumbs up to none down a's have three thumbs up five down and so the biggest uh, again once again chad green seems like one of the issues here don't know what the a's are are doing with chad green really (laughs) Um, yeah dominguez is a difficult one to kind of put your finger on as far as how other teams are valuing him and whether the yankees are even going to move him because he was so so highly hyped as a prospect and you know he was the martian he had the big nickname and he was going to be the next next big thing and he hasn't really gotten it going yet since he started playing affiliated ball 
So he's a really tough one to kind of put your finger on of whether the Yankees would trade him and whether the A's would even want him as a centerpiece for something like this. Um, I don't know if the Yankees would want Elvis Andrews at all, unless, again, all of their other shortstop options fall back. I mean, he's not a terrible he's not a terrible defender. He's not a terrible, terrible hitter, but he's overpaid and, and they can do a whole lot better. So a whole lot of question marks up and down this one for me. Um, but it, it is it is comforting <laughs> to see the values line up so well from from a Joel Sherman proposal. That's that's nice to see. I, I don't think he necessarily used our site to build his proposals for that article, but it's a good job, Joel. I wonder though because the other ones also matched the mm. the Cattell Marte one matched almost perfectly. I wonder if Joel's starting to get get the hang of using our site. I'm not <laughs> sure, but I'm totally speculating here. But it, it, it was curious that they matched. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, I agree with you about the A's don't need green. Um, uh, so so let's take a moment to talk about Jason Dominguez. Obviously, you know there is a reputation in the industry for the Yankees prospects to be hyped. And this was obviously a case of that. The latest reality check on him, though, his value has dropped a little bit because he was not overwhelming in his first year, as you mentioned. He also put on some weight, not good weight either, bad weight. He's looking a little uh, fluffy. (laughs) (laughs) And like, stick his shirt. (laughs) Um, So that raises some eyebrows as well. and so the prospect evaluators are catching on like, hmm, you know, um, he's still young and he's still got a lot of tools. So there's still plenty of upside. But, you know, there's been a lot of other prospects like him. I'm thinking for some reason, like Kevin Maiton was who was supposed to be, you know, the next big thing when the Braves back in the their days of hoarding all those prospects and, and, and same him. he put out some and... bad yeah <laughs> and 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 he ended up being nothing he ended up putting up some bad weight and had some bad you know uh, work ethic issues and now he's on the angels and he's nothing so um you, you can very much see a bust ha- happening so this in other words this is a wide variance case with jason dominguez of he's either a bust or he's a superstar probably or it could be something in between you don't know the year of ours are very wide here which is why we have more we have them um and then um, Gil, I think, is fine. I think the A's would love to see him in a package for Olsen. It's just a matter of the other ones. So, And I'm not sure they necessarily want to water down the Olsen return with Andrews. I think they need him as a placeholder anyway for Nick Allen. So it's probably just going to be Olsen straight, you know, and then and then we'll figure out the package from there. Mm-hmm. All right. Do you, want, do you have any other Yankees musings, or do you want to head to the Padres? Let's head to the Padres. Cool. Okay. So... Let's set some context first. The Padres obviously were huge deal makers um, last year in 2020 and leading up, you know, into 2020 with all those moves. Um, and AJ Preller, you know, has the reputation of being a rockstar GM. Made all these moves to try to get his team into first place contention. They're in win now. They even went over the luxury tax, which is weird because they're not a big market team. And so, but obviously they had injuries and they didn't even make the playoffs. So now there's even more pressure on them in 2022, given that some of the guys they acquired have short-term control years. Musgrove, for example, the pitcher, you know, I think is going to be a free agent after this coming year. There's a couple others. So they got some holes to fill. Uh, they grabbed Bob Melvin as their new manager from the A's. And so it was yet another win now move. So they it's, it's make or break time for A.J. Preller and the Padres. Let's set that context. So now... You know, what other moves does he make? There were rumors and reports that um, recently that um, 
they had discussed a, a trade with the Cubs in the at the deadline period for moving Eric Hosmer um, and attaching a big name prospect. Now, if you look at our values, and I'm sure you will, uh, we have Hosmer way like in minus. He's owed sixty million dollars, and he's clearly a stranglehold on their budget. He's an albatross, and you know he's had little moments here and there, but he's been basically a replacement level player for the most part in San Diego. So they would like to make an upgrade at first, and you know, and clear that roster spot. And even if it doesn't mean clearing the budget necessarily, maybe there's some cash involved, but there's gotta be, they're still trying to move Hosmer and get, get that, that first base upgraded. So there's a potential player for Olsen and you, and then, you know, naturally with Bob, Bob Melvin there, you think, okay, maybe he would love to have Melvin Olson on his team. He's his guy. So there's some synchronicity there. Maybe perhaps if they can clear Hosmer out. So, you know, in my mind, you know, the potential trade with Hosmer and, you know, the Cubs would be interested because the Cubs were still rebuilding, presumably, and they would have loved to see get either an Abrams or a Hassel. So I think that's probably what's being discussed, and it may still be up in the air. So that's one move. The other San Diego situation is, you know, half their rotation, or at least half their rotation, got injured. And so what do they do there? I think they're going to need another starting pitcher. And so maybe, again, they might look to you know, uh, the A's for a Manaya or a Bassett or a Montas. And so push is coming to shove though. He's Preller's over the luxury tax. He's already traded away the mid tier of his farm. He's only got, you know, a little bit left over and he's going to have to bite the bullet either by trading Abrams or Hassel. Mackenzie Gore's stock has fallen, but he might still be a trade chip. Um, they don't seem to have a whole lot of confidence in him. They didn't bring him up when they needed pitching last year. So he's still kind of a work in progress, fix it situation. So really, the the big question here is from a farm perspective, you know, is age, is uh, is Preller going to trade Abrams and or Hassel to improve his team, and can he swing a Hosmer trade to clear that roster spot? Those are the big questions in my mind. All right, I have some some fun ones that can try to answer that. I don't think I have anything to discussion, but I have some some fun proposals. So this first one is actually featured on the site right now, so you've already seen it, John. Uh, This is from user Electric J. It's between the Padres and the Cubs. Padres would acquire outfielder Ian Happ at 18.2 million, as well as Jared Young, infielder at 1 million, in exchange for Mackenzie Gore, left-handed pitcher at 13.9. James Wood, first baseman at five million, and Nabil Krizmat, right-handed pitcher at 0.5 million. So it's 19.2 headed to the Padres, 19.4 headed to the Cubs. Cubs have 11 thumbs up, nine down. Padres have seven up, six down. So this doesn't necessarily solve their logjam or their their financial issues or anything, but it does add a talented outfielder in half with some versatility, switch hitter, and it, and it capitalizes on what what is a falling asset in Mackenzie Gore. And so this trade entirely hinges on A, the Padres sorting out their finances otherwise, and B, the Cubs still believing in Mackenzie Gore. And and I'll throw C in here, the Cubs deciding not to compete even though they just signed Marcus Stroman. So I'm not sure I love this one, uh, but but I'm the, the, the values match up, I guess. Yeah, this <laughs> I, one... Yeah, sorry. This one was interesting to me, which is why I featured it, um, it, it because it's a little bit out of the box. 
um, from San Diego's perspective, I can see them being a fit for Hap because he kind of fits the mold of what they, you know, they had traded for Adam Frazier. It didn't work out, but but he played second base and outfield, and that's kind of Hap's thing, although in reverse. Um, they could move, you know, they could put Hap in center, and because they lost Tommy Pham, so then that would enable them to move um, Trent Grisham over to a corner spot, depending on what they do with Myers, which is another question. Um, so, you know, but I can see him slotting in to center, and like, okay, that makes sense. Um, I also think Mackenzie Gore could use a change of scenery, and I know the Cubs have really revamped their pitching development um, in their front office and their sort of development team. So, so maybe they can they can fix him. Um, so, so I was thinking about it from those terms, and of course the Cubs would also get another prospect in James Wood, who's starting to uh, make some noise. So, I think they might be interested in that. And then, of course, depends on we don't know what the Cubs' strategy is. We thought they were rebuilding; they probably still are, but they signed Stroman, they traded, uh, they signed Yon Gomes. I'm like, what the heck? So, are they going for it or not? Maybe they see the Central Division is still fairly weak. Maybe they're thinking more playoff teams will be added in the new CBA. So maybe there's a shot at a wild card there if they just like thread the needle a little bit they're still rebuilding but they're making some edgy kind of additions you could make a case that this one weakens that a little bit because they're giving away one of their core players in hap and getting prospects back so i'm not sure it makes sense but that really depends on what their primary strategy is Uh, but it's interesting to think about yeah yeah I'll, i'll definitely give it that i still don't think i totally love it uh, but but I think it's a good example of just, you know, how difficult this is going to be for the Padres is, you know, for them to add anybody, they're going to need to sort out the financial side of it. And they're going to need to, as you were saying, either move their best prospects or convince teams or find other teams that still believe in some of their less less exciting ones like Gore. So I think this is a good example of and, and the, the price for something like that, the price to make this deal happen might be somebody whose arrow is pointing up so so largely like wood and so maybe that costs them kind of their next generation of prospects to get out of this current issue so i I think this this deal is a good example of that at least yeah they are stuck they are in a rock and a hard place because they don't have much budget to work with they're already over the line and they've wasted most of their trade capital they wasted but they've spent most of their prospect capital so now they're like okay what's what's perler going to do when push comes to shove here All right, next one I really do like, though. I think this one is similarly outside of the box, but I think it makes more sense to me. So this is from user Moonslav59, who uh, we featured pretty frequently in the past. I I recognize the name. Uh, This is between the Red Sox and Padres. So the Padres are acquiring Jaron Duran, outfield prospect at 20.1 million, Josh Winkowski, right-handed pitching prospect at 4.8, and Matt Barnes, right-handed reliever at negative 4.9. In exchange, the Red Sox get Luis Camposano at 25.1, catching prospect, Adrian Morejon, left-handed pitcher at 6.6, and Will Myers, outfielder at negative 12.8. So it's 20 million flat headed to the Padres, 18.9 to the Red Sox. Red Sox have eight thumbs up, four down. The Padres have four thumbs up, none down. So the reason I like this a lot is because it, it really fills a lot of needs on both ends. So the Padres, you know, they want some outfield help and and potentially an upgrade in talent. And so they're getting Jaron Duran out there. And that's a bit of a riskier. He's a bit of an older prospect and his major league debut did not go as planned to the point where he's not necessarily even guaranteed a starting job for the Red Sox next season, especially if they want to add Kyle Schwarber, that just makes things more complicated. They just traded for Jackie Bradley Jr. 
they have a pretty crowded outfield here and, and you could see him getting squeezed out. I mean, I'm sure they still believe in him and, and they're not necessarily looking to squeeze him out, but if they can address other needs by trading him, I don't think they're necessarily closed off to it. Padres also get Josh Winkowski, who was part of that, um, the Andrew Benintendi three-team trade. Was he also in another trade last offseason, I think? I, I think he I think he was traded twice last offseason. Yeah, wasn't he in the uh, Stephen Matz deal? From, yep, yeah, yeah, that's what I thought it was. the Blue Jays to the, the yeah. Mets originally. Yeah, yeah, so he went Blue Jays to the Mets for Stephen Matz and then Mets to the Red Sox in the Benintendi three-team deal. Um, and, and his stock has continued to slowly climb up a little bit. And then Matt Barnes, who was actually extended in the middle of the season and then fell off a cliff the rest of the way, and so now he's underwater, uh, kind of evening out that deal on, on that end of it. Meanwhile, the Red Sox, reportedly they were very split on the decision of whether to exercise Christian Vasquez's team option, which I believe was around the $7 million range. Um, so they were torn on that. They looked into trading for Jacob Stallings before he was shipped to Miami, and so you figure maybe they are still looking for catching help. Maybe they're still not totally satisfied with Vasquez. And the Padres have a bit of a catching logjam after acquiring Jorge Alfaro. They have Austin Nola. They have Victor Caratini. So Camposano is a little bit on the outs there. And if, if the Red Sox want some plus defense behind the plate, he might be their guy. So they pick up him. They pick up Adrian Morejon, who talented left-handed pitcher, could work out of the bullpen or the rotation. Not sure yet where he's going to end up long-term. But he adds some left-handed pitching talent to the team. And Will Myers is really the cost of doing business here. Uh, he's uh, They've shown a willingness with the Jackie Bradley Jr. deal, at least, to add some of those underwater contracts uh, maybe he's a bit of a fallback if they can't bring Schwarber back and he DHs for them. Maybe he's a platoon right-handed hitting outfielder to kind of replace Hunter Renfro. Maybe he's just DFA'd and really is just treated as the cost of doing business. Uh, but I think, you know, it, it fills that need of the Padres to get out from under that contract. They still take on a little bit of money, but it's money that, you know, is better suited to their roster, taking a chance on Matt Barnes. And the Red Sox are blowing past the luxury tax no matter what, so money's not as big of a deal to them. So this really works for me, in my opinion. Yeah, and you make a lot of good points, and I would agree with you. I think this was a well-thought-out trade. You know, it strikes me that um, like if San Diego really wants to move salary, Myers is easier to move than Hosmer, because Myers is still productive. But then again, are they shooting themselves in the foot because they still need that production because they're in win-now mode? So I, I struggle with that a little bit. Um, but, you know, the other pieces I think make sense. I think we could good points about Durant. He could probably use a change of scenery. He's probably blocked. Maybe they can find some playing time, you know, for him in San Diego. So, and then the catching point, especially, you know, I read the report about Vasquez being on the bubble and that's about, you know, I think we have that one ish, you know, his value. So, um, so I can see Bloom thinking, okay, this is an opportunity to get like a really good long-term catcher in Capasano. And, Maybe I take a little salary in Myers, but I can also kind of keep my team competitive. I just like for Renfro, so there's a right-handed bat need. I mean, you know, you, you, made, you made all these points, and I agree with them, and I'm just saying, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Um, I'm just not sure San Diego wants to move Myers because I'm not sure what their other options are, but um, I think they're kind of torn on that as well internally. Um, but, but, you know, there are – so so I guess the, the, what it comes down to me is uh, is – is San Diego getting San Diego, who are in win now mode, getting weaker? Or are the Padres getting weaker by losing Myers' productivity and getting a question mark in Duran? Like if they really were trying to win a World Series in 2022, 
does this hurt their chances of doing so from a purely productive field value point of view? That's my only hesitation. I think it depends on where you're actually placing Myers's 2022 production. Cause I mean, obviously he was, he was very, very good in 2020 and that bumped his trade value. I, I believe he was in the positive after that season. Uh, but 2021, you know, 109 WRC plus 1.4 wins above replacement in 500 plate appearances. So almost a full season. I mean, that's, that's production. And there's a reason he's under underwater because that's less production that he's getting paid for, but it's, I don't think it's irreplaceable. I think there's still some talent on the farm that they could turn to or, or some smarter, smaller acquisitions, or maybe they pull off a trade for Joey Gallo, like they have been trying to do for years now. So I think there's some other options there. Um, I, I don't, I don't think, I, I think you're right to address that as one of the top hangups of the deal potential hangups of the deal, but I don't think it's that huge of an issue. Fair enough. All right. I have one more. I know we're nearing that hour and a half mark right now. I have one more that we do not need to spend much time on because it's bonkers and never going to happen, but I think it's fun. So here's a three-team deal between the Cubs, Padres, and Orioles. In this one, the Padres are acquiring catcher Wilson Contreras from the Cubs at $14 million in trade value. Uh, first baseman Trey Mancini from the Orioles at 1.4 million, and outfielder Anthony Santander at 10.3 million, also from the Orioles. So they're acquiring 20.5 million, or excuse me, 25.7 million. The Cubs acquire Luis Camposano at 25.1, Mackenzie Gore again at 13.9, Eric Hosmer at negative 50.7, and John Means from the Orioles at 41.8. So they're getting 30.1, and then the Orioles. They are giving up Means and Mancini and Santander and acquiring Adbert Alzale from the Cubs, right-handed pitcher at 18.5, and Robert Hassel, outfield prospect from the Padres at 32.2. So they get 50.7. So there's <laughs> there's a lot going on here. Yeah, I, my head I think, is spinning. <laughs> yeah, I think there's too much going on here to either A, dive too deep into it, or B, for it to be too realistic. There's so many high upside, high variance names pointing in each direction, but to kind of, to try and explain it from each club, you know, the Cubs, they're, they're giving up Contreras and they're giving up Alzale. And, and so that's one of their more talented young pitchers that they have in the system and their starting catcher, although only one year of control left, they're turning them into Camposano, who we discussed is a long-term catcher. He's, he's might be a little bit of a project. He's not, entirely he's not proven at all at the big league level yet but he's a top prospect for a reason and he could be pretty good on both sides of the ball Mackenzie Gore who we discussed at length his stock has fallen considerably but there's still something in there maybe the change of scenery is what he needs John Means who adds to their you know maybe not necessarily strikeout oriented rotation but of still productive pitchers and then Eric Hosmer who is just that underwater contract for the next four years and that's a team that can maybe afford to take that on after moving a lot of their rentals and losing guys to free agency in the last few seasons. So maybe they can afford that Padres get out from underneath that Hosmer contract. They have to give up Gore Campusano and Hassel. So that's three talented, three of the probably top five, top seven more talented players in their system. They have to give up um, in exchange. They get out of that Hosmer contract. They add Contreras, Mancini and Santander really just upgrading the offense and the defense. And then the Orioles, they're moving Santander, Mancini, and Means. So Means, their top 
chip right now if they're not trading Mullins. Mancini, a, a real fan favorite type after everything he's gone through in Santander. Can go either way on him. Exchange, they're adding a young pitcher in Alzale and a really, really talented outfield prospect in Hassel. So I think we could sit here and dissect this one for <laughs> a half an hour. Um, I don't think we need to, <laughs> but uh, I, I do want to hear in, in a nutshell what you think on it and maybe... Maybe if we don't love the entire trade as is, if, if there are aspects of it that you do like, could see something along those lines happening or, or wh- whatever your thoughts are. Yeah, I, I, I do like it for the Orioles um, because, you know, they've got no pitching at all. The regional level right now, at least Alzale is, you know, would help solidify that a little bit. Well, if, if they lose means, of course, and, and he's got a little bit of upside still and a little bit, um, he's got more team control that might fit their next window. You know, and they get Hassel, who, of course, they would love to have. Um, but I don't get it for the other. So, I mean, I see that the, the Padres are getting the benefit of losing Hosmer's contract. And, you know, they'd have to bite the bullet and lose his prospect. But did you say they're getting Wilson Contreras? Because yes. I think the last <laughs> thing they need is yet another catcher. They've already got, like, four of them. So, like, <laughs> that I don't get. Um, well, I mean, if they were giving up Camposano, maybe that's a wash. But the the... You know, I guess he fits their window of only being in control for one year, and they're going for it in 2022. But, but they've got Nola, they've got um, Caratini, they've got Alfaro. I don't know where they're going to put Contreras. So that that I get stuck right there. Uh, but the rest of it, yeah, it's too crazy. I think the way you can tweak this to make it a little less crazy, still not, not there yet, but a little less crazy, is I think you take Mancini out. I don't think that's. I don't think he's money that the Padres are interested in taking on if they are having these budgetary issues even with even after losing getting Hosmer off the books I think they'd rather not add another you know bat first first base DH type making eight million and plus I don't think the Orioles are planning on moving him I I think that's just a a bad PR hit I think he's their guy right now so I think you take him off and that doesn't adjust the deal too much he's only at 1.4 in surplus you take him out I think you also take Wilson Contreras out because, as you mentioned, plenty of catchers going on. And I think you can then, you know, replace him with Ian Happ and, and adjust things as you need to to make things balance a little bit better with, you know, some lower end prospects, relievers, whatever. But I think Happ makes more sense as a fit for the Padres, even if they already are receiving Santander in this. Because then if they have Santander, Happ, and Tommy Pham, that's one, a really strong outfield. And two, that gives them the flexibility to either. You can play Will Myers at first base where you don't have as much of a defensive issue, or you can go and try and move him in a different deal. So I think that is a better fit to me, unless I'm missing an outfielder there. Am I? <laughs> is there another outfielder on their roster that I'm forgetting about right now? Uh, on the Padres roster? Yes. So they got Grisham right now in center. Mm-hmm. Myers, mm-hmm. presumably left, right. They got a hole in left because Pham left and Frazier mm-hmm. left. So, no. Okay, cool. So that works. And I mean, you got Profar yeah. filling in in the outfield corners every now right. and then, and right. and they got all that going on. Uh, Fernando Tatis, right fielder, excuse me. <laughs> but <laughs> but yeah, I think I think adjusting the deal, take out Mancini, swap Contreras for Hap, and, and adjust where you need to. I think that works a lot better for for yeah. the Padres and Orioles especially. I don't think that works as well for the Cubs. They still have yeah. to find somewhere for Contreras, and maybe they wanted to hang on to Cap onto Hap, but. I don't think there's a way to to reconcile this framework and make it perfect perfect for all three teams and and realistic. So uh, it's more of just a fun fun little one to kind of finish things off on as we do 
hit the yeah. hour and a half mark here. So so with yeah. us kind of kind of nearing the end here, are there any more points you wanted to just quickly run through? Any other teams you wanted to hit? Maybe we can. You know, you know, I think we need episode. to do a part. I know we didn't plan on it, but I think we mm-hmm. we got to talking so much, and there's so much other other so many other team needs and stuff to yeah. cover. I I've got like another twelve here that I think we can make it interesting. <laughs> so I think we should do a part two in the next. Yeah, one. that sounds and, good to me. Yeah. And maybe take a. Hit... Cl- yeah, maybe take a closer look at the Reds and A's as being sellers yeah. and where they're going to go. The Angels need pitching, and what's mm-hmm. Miami going to do? What are the Dodgers going to do? They haven't been, you know, they've been quiet. You know, what are the Rays going to do? They're always tracking mm-hmm. trade. So there's a whole bunch of more to talk about that I think we can do in a part two. The Twins, the Mariners, yeah. the Phillies. Yeah, I, I think yeah, I'm 100% in agreement with you there. We'll probably I don't know if it'll be the next episode. We'll have to discuss that mm-hmm. off air, but we will have a part two of this whole discussion on the way for sure. All right. Uh, do you have anything else you wanted to mention yet to this episode? Um, I think that's it. You might have seen on our site that we're looking for a hockey analyst. So if you have any interest in, in helping us out with that, uh, we're looking to sort of broaden our horizons and, and, and venture into covering trade value for other sports. And that's one of the potential ones we might cover. So if you're interested in hockey and you know a lot about it and you have an analytical point of view, uh, give uh, email us at uh, check our contact us site uh, information on the site and just email us and we'll get back to you. Yep. That, that sounds fun to me. I know very little about hockey. I enjoy watching it like <laughs> very, very casually, uh, but I don't know anything about the financial system or, or anything like that. So I'm uh, not going to get much help from me, John. So yeah, let's definitely Dang. find someone else for that one. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But yeah, just uh, reach out to us for that. Um, that'll do it for this week. Thank you all so much for listening. If you have any comments or questions, feel free to shoot us an email at baseballtradevalues at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at baseballvalues. Also feel free to reach out to either of those avenues if you are our missing hockey analyst that we need and you want to join the team. Also be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss an episode. We'll be back in a couple weeks to break down more news, updates, speculation, whatever next couple weeks bring us. So until then, stay safe, enjoy the off season and happy holidays. Thanks, John. Thanks, Josh.